Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. First question, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> hey, Jordan, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, my name is Hiba Amin. Uh, I am a marketer based in Canada. Uh, I, at the heart of everything I do, I think it always pretty easily falls back to content, which is kind of my strong suit where my passion lies. But uh, I would say in the past two, three years, I've really been branching out into more of the marketing leadership and strategy uh, aspect of, of the job. Um, but throughout my whole career, I've worked in tech uh, across some more enterprise companies, most recently at a PLG um, SaaS company, and, and now moving into kind of like a customer-led uh, marketplace for tech. So wow. Um, yeah, kind of all over the place, I guess, but very much in tech. I think that's my sweet spot um, and content within that as well. Yeah. Has content always been something you've enjoyed or as you've just gotten these roles, they've all been pushing in the content way and you're good at it? Or like for me, for example, like I wrote a book when I was in like fifth grade, very small book, but like content's always been like a passion or like a kind of a thing I've done. Is that true for you or is it more like you just fell into it? Yeah, I think I've just always gravitated towards it. Um, I had a few co-ops, uh, which was a part of my university program, just trying to figure out what kind of jobs I liked as they related, I guess, to an extent to what I was studying. Um, and my final co-op was an eight-month uh, placement at a, a tech company that was uh, near Toronto. Um, and it was fairly open-ended where it was kind of just like a big learning opportunity. And that's where I kind of just started writing blogs dabbling in social media, like understanding the impact of things from an organic, very high level from an organic perspective too. Um, not fully diving into keywords or anything too crazy, I think at that point. Um, but I was like, oh, I really like this. How do I get into another tech company as I after I graduate? Um, but I guess more in a space that I was more interested in or at a company I was more excited about. Um, and so yeah, I started off my journey. My first job out of grad um, was a marketing coordinator, which I feel like is fairly common as a first job into marketing. It's kind of like you're a generalist, you're just learning, um, you're there to dabble in a whole slew of things. And so I, I tried my hand at ABM, I tried my hand at like demand generation um, and events uh, and content was something that I was just like, I really love this. This is like the coolest thing I get to, for me, like it's, the piece of marketing that at least how in how I learn allowed me to understand our industry, our customers the best, because you're constantly researching, you're constantly like producing things for your audience. And, and for me, that was the most interesting thing, not to mention just content honestly touches everything. Like it's not just blogging. It's not just landing pages. It is for me, content is marketing. Mm -hmm. Everything falls under content ads for me falls under content. Um, like everything well, not necessarily falls under, but everything touches content um, in some form. Um, and yeah, I, I think that was just the most exciting thing. And it's kind of evolved into how do we grow um, a business? I think in the last two years, I've been a lot more revenue focused than I ever have been um, as a marketer. And that was a really, really cool shift in how I think um, as a marketer as well, because um, yeah, going into my last company, which was uh, called Soapbox at the time, we rebranded. Um, I joined as a content marketing manager. And so a lot of my work was, was definitely the website, was the blog, was social, was distribution um, of the content we were producing and uh, like webinars, email, like all, all of that kind of stuff that you'd kind of expect. 
Um, but then, uh, yeah, COVID hit and we went through layoffs and I found myself as a marketing team of one and I was reporting to the CEO all of a sudden. So now my metrics weren't really like, Hey, we're growing in our keywords, like our important keywords, we're growing in traffic, we're growing in signups that the blog drove or these specific content pieces drove. Now it's like, Hey, our marketing efforts drove X amount of revenue this month. This is how much we've grown. Our customer acquisition cost has gone down and it's like cheaper from this channel. And so I think that was the coolest switch because now I saw marketing as a very uh, massive impact on the business as a whole, as opposed to just one channel or function. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was, I don't think I, I, had I not reported directly into the CEO, I don't think I would have had that switch as easily. Yeah. Um, but that was a moment I finally understood. I was like, oh, this is what my boss was talking about this whole time. I. I get it. Like, how did I not get this before? This makes so much sense now. I see why these things are important. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Wow. As you're talking, there's just so many streams <laughs> of thoughts running in my head. Um, yeah. <laughs> because one of the things, like I had a conversation with someone just about like what they've changed their mind on. And it was kind of like that, that marketing, you know, didn't have much impact or couldn't impact the company and they've changed their mind. And it's kind of cool that like you were like a four or five year old kid just tossed in the deep end of like, you're going to learn to swim uh, and you're going to figure out yeah. like what works to fully keep your head above water or uh, you won't be here. No, just kidding. Hopefully no parents take that as like, an <laughs> but that's, that's, and then your point about content being, it's like literally like the most basic atom in everything, like in, in a business, mm -hmm. like content is, you know, even like you, you can break down like financials, like they're good content content and how you display them and how you like, do you have nice cool bar graphs? But like I've found as I've went into content that like, once you go into it, like it's, there's no going back in the sense of like seeing it. It's like cocaine. Like you just never will stop once you kind of go <laughs> fully into it, not speaking from experience. Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting <laughs> thing that you say that like, I didn't really put the piece of like email content. Like it's all even adds to your point, like paid media is very much so content. Like it's a creative, there's some graphic, there's something, and then there's copy, there's mm -hmm. writing to it, a headline, a body a called action. So the more you can understand content, the better I uh, have, have been able to do marketing. Obviously I'm like a young grasshopper, so I'm still learning it all, but that's cool. <laughs> um, what is something, and you might've touched on it, but like, what is something you're obsessed with lately in kind of the realm of marketing, content, business? Is there anything that like you're just geeking out about lately? Oh man, I think a few things. I think the thing that I guess that's most related to marketing practitioners, let's say, um, is template libraries. I think like having seen firsthand the massive impact it's had on a business um, and really putting content as the forefront of marketing, I would say, and marketing initiatives. Um, it, it's been like the gift that keeps on giving. Like at Hyper Context, which is the company we rebranded um, from Soapbox, uh, we built two separate template libraries one uh, and to give some context the product is basically uh, a, a, an app that is built for managers so everything from one-on-ones and meetings um, to just coaching and, and developing your team and having those like tough conversations or, or good conversations kind of all just lives there to enable managers to have a little less chaos in their day um, otherwise it would be very tough to say I've promised like six people, six things. And I don't remember what the hell we just talked about. There's a, there's a place for it now. Um, and so, um, something that we developed as a template library was we noticed that managers have so much like going on. They're that they're like running in meetings all the time. It's so hard to like have focus time. And so your cognitive load is just at an all time high 
Um, so how do we reduce that? How do we give them resources? Because they're searching for them, how, how can we give them resources that enable them to do their jobs better without having to like take on such a strong mental load as a result? Um, and so that was the first idea that was super tied into the product, which was building an agenda templates library. Mm. So if you don't know how to run your first one-on-one, if you don't know how to run like a salary review meeting, what about you're putting someone on a performance re- improvement plan? Most people don't have management training. And so you can't just like, yes, you can Google it and it's helpful, but half of the content out there is just like, be nice. It's like, okay, well, what is the actionable content that I can, I can do? I don't want the fluff. I want to actually know what should we be talking about? How do I structure this conversation? Um, I don't want to spend like hours and hours listening to podcasts to figure out like the best practices because it's so different on a case by case scenario. And so the template library we built because not only was it a gold mine for ranking for a massive amount of long tail keywords. And so um, long tail keywords being, you know, obviously you can go for a keyword like meeting notes. That's quite like a very short keyword, but a very high search volume. But what if you get a bit more specific, mm. like meeting notes for X, Y, and Z? The search volume is going to be quite small, but the intent's going to be much higher. Um, and that's what we've found. So someone searching for a one on one meeting versus a one on one meeting with an employee who's leaving. Like those are things people will search. Um, just obviously the volume's not going to be like 30,000 a month. It might be a hundred and that's okay. Um, because we've seen that those people convert. So from a strategy standpoint, it made a ton of sense to go that route. Um, from a product standpoint, it made a ton of sense to go that route. And so I think template libraries, I've been like screaming off the rooftops with every SaaS marketer I've spoken to at least because they're so helpful. They drive a ton of value to your existing customers. They give you a lot of opportunity to rank for a a slew of long tail keywords. And I find that they're the easiest, at least for us, it was like a very easy um, time. It was an easy like process to get people into the product, but get to their time to value so much faster. Um, Like they experience value from the product at a, yeah, a faster rate, meaning that the likelihood of them actually retaining and coming back the next day to the product is a lot higher as well because they got value from it from day one as opposed to like two weeks from now um, because I'm sure we've all signed up for like hundreds of products thinking like it was cool and then we just did forgot about them the next day so how do you find those sticky points Um, Hmm. and for us that was a really big sticky point and over time now that obviously I was in the driver's seat at this point I saw that those libraries drove the most paid customers so I was like okay how do we replicate this do we build more agenda templates Um, and to an extent I think there's like uh, an area of diminishing returns. And so how do you keep the quality of the content super high while also like obviously expanding it? Um, and that's what I always found really tough. So we ended up building uh, another library, which is goal examples. So another thing that managers have to do, set goals for their team. There's so many like options and it's so draining to try and think of new goals mm-hmm. every quarter, especially for like specific individuals. So what are the goals you give to a content manager versus a, a paid media Um, manager versus like a demand gen manager like all these different potential roles and you being a manager doesn't necessarily mean you're an expert um, in every single one of these domains and in most cases you're not you're probably going to have your sweet spot so for me that's content but I don't know what the hell I'm doing on the paid side of things so how do I manage someone if I don't know every like nitty-gritty piece of their job Um, and I think that's where things can get a little tough and that's where the value really came from too in that goals library was it connected to the product again 
it ranked for a ton of keywords, um, but it also kind of tackled that problem that we were trying to solve for our customers. Um, and in the end, it ended up driving about 30% of our acquisition, um, which um, on average, uh, I, we, we made one change before I left. And so that pushed us to being around 600, signing up around 600 companies a week to the product. And so that's a lot of acquisition. Um, yeah. That's a lot of people coming, not to say everyone's retaining, but still. Um, it just depends what, where they're coming from. But if they're coming through the agenda templates library, I know the likelihood of them converting to a paid customer is significantly higher. Yeah um yeah and so yeah yeah and and i feel obvious i guess that's what i'm obsessing yeah over. <laughs> i would too if it drove that much like success right like you know if uh i'm not even going to use a horrible analogy but it, something that i was thinking as you're saying that is um education per se like obviously a template is meant to just be somewhat a plug and play thinking of like canva like the templates mm -hmm. in canva totally hate yeah. it like just because you see that them everywhere in the sense of like they just rip and kind of scratch and rip we're like i feel like maybe and you can correct me if i'm wrong but like with your kind of approach it was more or less you were educating them with the template of how to do a one-on-one -on -one, how to do this review meeting so mm -hmm. you're kind of helping them get closer to finishing the job that they'd use your product to do but they needed some education something up front that like you can't really quantify of like why should we invest in this it like doesn't it's not like it's free it's not paid per se nobody's buying the templates but it's so much more like you said it's getting signups and it's getting high intent people because like i'm a manager and i really need this template so like as you're talking something came in my mind is like how did you know managers you said you know managers have so much cognitive load which all resonates with me not being a manager but like how did you get there like obviously <laughs> did you talk to managers in your company like how did you get to like the fact of this aha, like we should create a template library because these managers are so overwhelmed and they need it. Yeah, I mean, like working at, at Soapbox HyperContext, that was the most exposure I would say I've had to customers um, in my entire career. Um, it was just constantly talking to customers like weekly, bi-weekly, whatever it was. Uh, in some cases, we'd have like five to seven customer calls a week, uh, if not more, which is quite yeah. a lot, I would wow. say. Um, we also didn't have a sales team, so it never felt like customers were gated. Um, I think having been at very sales-led organizations in the past, you feel a lot of pressure to say, I don't want to bother this sales rep's customer because they're already talking to them. So even if there's not a direct gatekeeper, you just feel a bit of that internally. And I think that kind of pushed me away from that mindset. Um, was when my CEO was just like, why do you need me to book a call with customers? Why do you need customer success to book a call? Just go talk to them. I was like, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, they're humans. If they say no, that's okay. <laughs> but if they say yes, that's awesome. And I think the other thing was we didn't just stick to existing customers. We spoke to people who used other platforms, who used like Google Docs, who used like competing or just pen and paper as another competitor, to be honest. Um, and so just understanding what it was like for managers. And I think the other piece was, I was just naturally always talking to managers because of all the content we were producing. I'm a very big advocate for, um, you know, getting a lot more credibility, I would say from outside voices. Um, and you can find a lot of that online, but I think having firsthand quotes is, is quite nice because yes, you get to improve your content, but you also get to build these relationships with a a big number of people um, over time. And then you start seeing like this big army of people who support your brand, whether or not they use your product, doesn't matter, but they support your brand. They're there to, to advocate for the messages that you're putting out. Um, 
And so every time we put a new content piece out, we have a new like launch, we have a bigger base of people who just care about what we're doing and support um, because you're lifting their voice up. They want to do the same and, and reciprocate. And so, um, yeah. And I also just learn a lot more from talking to people versus like reading personally. Um, and so that was a little bit selfish on my end was just constantly trying to talk to managers, talk to them. And finally, I think when I made my first hire, like everything made sense. And I started rereading past pieces and I was like, oh man, I was so close here, but this is like the one little missing piece um, of context. And like actually being in the position now of being able to write content selfishly for myself. Um, it was just like really cool. It was a cool experience to go back to a lot of the content I, I had produced sure. for the last two years and say like, oh, this is actually helpful. Like, this is sick. I'm going to copy this agenda template for myself, tweak it a little bit. I'm going to use this advice on how to give feedback. Um, this is the frequency of doing X, Y, and Z. And so it was just like a very cool, like, I guess, full circle mm -hmm. moment um, when I made my first hire. Yeah. Um, and then I could start producing more content based on my experiences. Um, thankfully, it was a very positive <laughs> experience for both of us. Uh, and so a lot of the content was more on the like positive aspirational side versus like, here's a nightmare. It's more like, here's yeah, how to yeah, avoid yeah. a nightmare. Just be a good person. Um, and so. <laughs> that's, that's great. Wow. Yeah. Wow. As, as I said before, a lot of kind of thoughts running in my mind. Cause what you're talking about, <laughs> I think is like a lot of people putting out content on marketing is marketers, marketing to marketers. So it's very simple for them to create a lot of content mm. to, you know, know their audience so well, but like, you know, I work for a company with engineers, like there's a, that sell the engineers. Like there's so many different use cases where maybe like you, I'm not a manager, but I need to write content about being a manager or how to be better at a manager. And like, I think the first thing you shouldn't do is try to like do that on your own. So like, obviously I'm drawing out parts of your saying yeah. like you talk to customers, you used either customers or people who look like our kind of ICP for our content. I think that's key is like, mm -hmm. I don't know what it's called. Like it's not, you know, user generate content, but it's like using conversations or asking people like here, here's what seven leaders think is wrong with one-on-one -on -one meetings. And it's like, it's simple content mm -hmm. to make. You have seven conversations or maybe you have, you know, but like, I think that's so critical is, you know, whether it's using SMEs or just using people creating your content. And I wrote in my daily email, always quick to plug myself that like, People should market with <laughs> your customers or with rather than like at, like there's a huge, for me, a contextual shift mm -hmm. when I'm marketing or talking at someone or talking with, and like, we've all had the conversations, whether it was a first date or even just a friend that you're meeting of like, wow, they didn't ask anything about me. Like that was completely them talking at me. Like that was not fun. I'm not getting coffee. Like yeah. coffee was fine, but like the experience was terrible. And I think, you know, we can really apply that to our marketing of marketing with people. And to your point, what you do is like, if no one gives a shit about what you're talking about what you're doing, which is many companies, like rather than just continually trying to force people to give a shit, like you should give a shit, you should give a shit. Like how about you find people, create content with them. And eventually, like you said, you create a bigger base that push your content out. So trying to do a horrible job synthesizing like the 17, you know, <laughs> as they say on Clubhouse, you know, thought bombs or like knowledge bombs, trying to condense those for myself. <laughs> so I really can grasp them because there's a lot of good stuff you said in that. And I think your experience probably has driven so much. There's this saying in religion that like there's a tri tricycle where like the Bible or like scripture and like tradition are the back legs and experience is a first leg because like everything goes through and is filtered through experience. And I find your 
all the things you're saying has come from experience, like driving so much traffic. Like I went on your LinkedIn and you just have bonkers numbers for like your information under it. <laughs> like you went from like, you know, not saying you were doing nothing before, but like, it, like it was like, okay, she's doing this. And then like just crazy bonkers numbers. I said that two times, but like it, it all came from the experience. So I love you sharing, you know, in-depthly kind of the experience um, of that, of, uh, of all that you learned through what you're geeking out on, which is template libraries, which came from, in a sense, your experience of seeing them work so well. Yeah. And I mean, like my LinkedIn's a little chaotic from, from a numbers perspective, because I, I, my, one of my managers in the last like four years, he really pressed on me. Um, cause at the time he initially helped me try and find a job and then I ended up working for him. Um, which worked out really well, but he was like, he initially, our relationship started because he was looking at my resume and he was like, what are the numbers? And I was like, what are you talking about? Cause I was a coordinator at the time. And I was like, these are all the like things I did. I managed webinars. I did like all these things. And he was like, what was the impact you had on the business? And so since then, I mean, maybe it's like not the right thing, but I'm, I'm just like, I will always have numbers to back up what I'm saying. Similar to when you make statements um, in blogs, you're like, what's the is there a stat that can back up what you're saying that's like a credible stat not just linked to a listicle of 30 stats like where's the original study or is there like research that's been done you can't just say like to be a good manager you have to be nice it's like okay cool why um and so i've kind of taken that with my career um as well as like i can say i i grew the company well what does that mean by how much and what in what scenario how did you do it and so i don't know i think it's helped uh in some capacities i've been like a very no bs marketer <laughs> to be honest like i don't i think I, I share a lot of our numbers mostly on twitter i would say is where i have the most fun um but i, I build a lot in the open yeah. failure or success um and a lot of that came because i was a team of one and i needed recognition i needed more like marketers to like who appreciated what i was doing i just was craving that kind of attention and support um because it was a very engineering dominant team and as supportive as the team was they can only go so far because they're like okay you ranked on a keyword like cool um whereas like marketers if it's a very hard one they like appreciate that to a, a much larger degree i would say and and so i've just built a habit now of, of building very much in the open, asking questions, talking to people, but just writing out like processes mm -hmm. as well on Twitter, um, kind of to help other people out, but very selfishly as well to, you know, get praise that I'm kind of craving. Uh, that makes that, that like is fully understood and appreciated. Um, yeah. And so I think that's kind of made building my resume easier mm -hmm. over time. Cause like, I always have these numbers at hand. Um, cause I'm just always like curious to share. I'm like, Hey, this worked. Why don't you try it? Maybe you'll get promoted. Mm -hmm. Like that would be sweet. Yeah, um, no, I love so, that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, numbers no, on I love that. I cool. appreciate, <laughs> you know, the first step is kind of admitting you have a problem with just needing recognition. So I appreciate that because I think, you know, there's a deep need for everybody to, uh, want to be, you know, pat on the back some more than others, <laughs> but I'm glad you actually can recognize it and you're aware of it. And I think building in public is a, a great way for that and be just a great thing to do. I quote unquote build in public as well through my newsletter. And I think it's just so key because yeah. you're kind of thinking things through differently than if you just do it at work because you're writing a post about it, you're analyzing whatever. Um, 
aside from kind of the psychological benefits that you were talking about. And I think that's so, you know, interesting and good. Um, and then there was just so many things you were saying, because I think numbers, as you were saying all about the numbers, like if you go to any great direct response writer in the past, like it's always very specific. It's how you will lose 15 and a half pounds mm -hmm. using this 36 day, you know, two workouts a day to uh, like, <laughs> like specificity, like come join our newsletter with thousands of marketers. It's like, well, are you really thousands or are you at like 998 yeah. and you just want to put a thousand on there? Give me the real number. Yeah. Like I used to do that on my LinkedIn about like my 38 subscribers. And it's like, most people were like, dude, why are you doing that? But it's like, I just want to be open with people and I'd rather like be more specific into your resume. Like that was one of the things that stood out to me. So obviously that was great advice from that person because those those numbers. I wrote a piece about it of like, with weightlifting, I can't walk around and say, Hey, I can bench 380. Like I can do it. And people are like, yeah, he, he's a bench, you know, he's a, <laughs> he's a muscle guru. Where like with marketing, you can say you can do anything. I can write really well. I can market really well. But like, for me, it's like, you know, let's put the weights on the, yeah. the bench and let's see what you can actually do. So the numbers help me literally see, holy crap, like you, you know, or drove the inbound engine to 400 like all these numbers really contextualize like okay she doesn't just talk it like she can literally walk it and i think that's a that's a big lesson that i've <laughs> taken in from somebody way back when but it wasn't as literal or direct as the advice you got is i don't do it as well as you've kind of perfected or i guess inherently i just can't lift as much so like i don't have this cool of numbers no but no seriously no. though so i think that's like because if you can lift a ton and you're not you're just telling people i'm like buff like it's way different and then like I can deadlift like 500 pounds. Like that's like, okay, like you're really buff. Like you don't just look it, you 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 well, do it too. So yeah. I found that to be something that was popping off as you were uh, sharing um, <laughs> just about specific, like really putting numbers. And then even as a marketer, like that's a clear way to make the shift from like cheerleading marketing to like driving results marketing is like, what'd you do for the business? And if there's nothing, mm -hmm. then you know, hey, I need to change something because I'm not driving any literal business um, change. So that's good. That's good. I have a question. I, as I was going through, as this podcast is totally off the rails and I love it. It's all about experience at this point. It's great. I have all these built questions. I've been wondering for the longest, like I should probably like can those, uh, but they're good sometimes. But from your experience working as the communications coordinator for the Institute of Quantum Computing, what did you learn from that experience being the communications coordinator? So a long time ago in a generalist role, like, did you learn anything yeah. that you now apply, whether it's like literally or somewhat subconsciously? Yeah, I mean, so that was one of my co-ops way, way back. I think... I don't know if I learned anything that I apply to my day-to-day -day job. It was very internal communications, I would say, because I have no place in, in talking to the quantum community. Um, the thing I did learn about myself, though, over time is, is that when I join companies as a personality trait, I get so, like, involved and so excited about everything. So for that semester, I was like, quantum computing is the future, like... I understand. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember to be honest, a lot of the words anymore, but um, I was like, this is like the, the cutting edge, like research. And this is the person like doing it. And like, yeah. just getting so involved in, in the product that I was, or the product or community or space that I was in. And so I think as I've started to select companies that I want to work for, I think that's definitely a piece of of the pie for me in terms of like I do need to care about the mission and vision of the company and the product 
but it's not number one on my list because I know that regardless of what I do, my personality will just, I will get so excited about whatever I'm working on because the people around me are very excited about it. And so I guess from like a a career point of view, what it taught me was I'm okay with putting certain things lower on my list. Um, And in that being like sometimes the space and product for me, like I've noticed that the things that really, really matter to me is the company culture and and not in the sense of like, Hey, here's a beer pong table and all this crap. It's like, what flexibility do I have? How much autonomy do I have? Do people trust each other? Do people treat each other as adults? Um, Are people transparent? Do I feel kind of like there's something sketchy going on? Do I feel like people are going to treat me with respect and, and, obviously you earn it but to an extent like do they treat you well and treat you like a human and do you like again tackle problems as an adult sorry my dog's just (laughs) hearing some sounds i think (laughs) but i think that was like the most important factor for me because those are typically the things that impact how motivated and happy i am at work and a big part of that for me which is probably why which is definitely a big reason why i went to soapbox was my, my direct manager can I learn from this person? Are they going to be an advocate for me? Can I be an advocate for them? How do they treat the team? Does the team does the team actually feel comfortable communicating with one another? Do people feel comfortable speaking up? Because a lot of these different like things that you see, at least in the interview process, can impact how you feel. And so I think that's ultimately what that job taught me was I'm going to be excited about anything I work on. And when I had my like final day at, at Soapbox, I was like, well, see me in a month. I'm going to have some really strong opinions about something not related to leadership at all. Um, <laughs> and I'm just going to kind of change my personality sure. a bit, at least online. Um, and so I'm sure I'm in a month, I'm going to be so, so, so opinionated about the buying process and tech. Um, and because that's going to be part of the content strategy is like, that's, those are the customers I'm going to talk to. Those are the people I'm going to talk to. Um, but yeah, I think it just tells me that it, it's very easy. No, I, I don't know. No, no, I I'll think you did there. a good I'm job rambling, actually, like <laughs> taking out of that experience some actual, you know, like for some career wise, but just in general of like what really matters in your job. And obviously you have the personality aspect that you kind of are just driven to kind of champion whatever company you work for. But I do think regardless that there is kind of that autonomy and some other things that are almost more important at times. But from your explanation or from you explaining that, like mm-hmm. I had a thought, like, is it important for marketing to become a champion of the product to like, like you live it and breathe it, like, you know, wear the t-shirt, like, do you find that is necessary or do you think you can keep distance between like, yeah, you know, quantum computing is kind of lame, but I'm going to create some great content or do you find you need that kind of just like, <laughs> ah, you know, putting the flag up for the cause? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to give you the worst answer, but I'll, I'll kind of add some context beyond, but I, I would say it depends. Um, I think it depends on you as a person. It depends on what you're looking for in a job. I know some people work to live and others live to work. Um, and I think trying to find a good balance is always important. Um, I think that's something I personally struggle with quite a bit. And it's always something I'm actively working on is, is making sure that work doesn't consume my life. Um, just because I do get really excited and I do champion the products that I work for. Um, but I, I think you have to be interested in some capacity. You're, if you're just like, like think about writing, copywriting, and think about like content you're producing. If you have no interest in what you're doing in the product or the space, 
that's going to show. And you're also just not going to have a good time at work. You're spending at least or around 40 hours at your job every week. That's the majority of your time. Yeah. Uh, or that's a big chunk of it, at least. If you're bored all the time, like that sucks. Um, you know, and it, I guess like if you're okay with that, if you're okay with like being bored at work, then that's totally fine. Depends. That's like, and that's why I say it depends. It's like, those are the things that I care about. I set a really high standard for myself. Um, I want to actually enjoy what I'm doing. I want to enjoy the space. I want to be curious and have that kind of a curious mindset. And some people can find that in the industry and in the content and the research that they do, while others can like just look at it purely from a marketing lens and say, I, what are the experiments specifically I can run and find interest and excitement there? Less about the space, more about what they're learning as a marketer, um, probably from from that point of view. For me, I like having both. Is like I have a deeper understanding of our customers. I have a deeper understanding, and I'm actually interested in it. Um, and how do I pair that with like the experimentation mm. mindset and the growth mindset? Um, but yeah, for me, I think I personally, I think it really matters that you you give a shit um, about the company you work for. Um, not to the point where you know you drop everything in your <laughs> life to work for them. I think that's pretty unhealthy. Um, and not to say that you can't have hobbies, you can't like have a life, like all of these things. I think there's a nice balance, but if you're spending around 40 hours a week on something, yeah, you should probably have like a small, at least a very small inkling, um, of an interest in the product. Um, I don't think the people, I think I always used to think the people was enough for me. Um, but people are constantly leaving or turning over. And so I don't think the people's enough. Um, and that was, I was really close to taking a job last year, purely for a manager because I completely idolized her. I love her to death because she's just such a good human, but she's incredibly smart, but I had no care for the product, like could care less about the space, could care less about the product. And even though I know with my personality, I would at some, to some extent, it just wasn't enough for me. And so I had to take a step back and think like, if that person wasn't there, would I take the job? And I was like, absolutely not. There's cooler products out there. Now that I've been in tech for long enough, I see the kinds of industries that are available and that are around. And I see the kind of problems that I would be more interested in solving. Um, and so while it's still not the top of my list, it, it is there. It is on the list. It's in the top five, um, I would say. No, your so long-winded answers a very make long my job answer. extremely <laughs> easy uh, to ask questions. No, I like that. And I think I think just from <laughs> what you're saying, obviously every marketing uh, question can be answered with it depends. But I think like what I took from what you're saying is just the fact that like it helps. <laughs> like, yeah, you can still get, you know, somewhat fit by slamming Oreos and like, you know, these every day. Like you can, but why not, you know, just become more, a little bit more vegetarian or whatever. Like it's just a little bit easier to do your job, aka get whatever you're trying to achieve health wise. So yeah, I, I totally align with that. Like, obviously I have not had an extensive career. I've worked for the same company for four years, but I found that like, as like I've done my two to three kind of freelance jobs, like as it's in something I care about, like personal development or whatever, it's just easier to work on it or come up with ideas or as you're saying, like problem solve around that. And I think there's mm -hmm. people that like you can just become excited about anything. I think there's strategies you can use to become excited about anything, you know, AK your spouse or whatever of like, yes, I love, you know, NASCAR or whatever when they love it. Like, but I just think it's easier mm -hmm. and you have less like work to do to do your job if it's somewhat you enjoy it with great people. So that's like the, you know, great product, great space and with great pre people 
you know, and then kind of for you, it was thinking through which of those really matters in the sense of like, I may not care about my product at all, but I need to be with great people. So I need my whole department to be like enjoyable, whatever. I think that's a great lesson for people like looking for jobs, but even just like kind of analyzing <laughs> your current job is we're in this like great, you know, reshift of the workforce, uh, great resignation, they called it that like, you can kind of choose what you want to do. Um, so why not choose something that you enjoy yeah. or people you enjoy? No, that's good. That has me, uh, that has me thinking. <laughs> And I mean, if you're, if you work in content too, like, I think a question you should ask yourself, because I think this is a very easy path that you'd end up going down is, is this an area that you'd like to be a subject matter expert in? Um, because you're obviously spending days on end, researching, talking to people, consuming content about it, producing content, like all of this stuff beyond just like selling, you're ultimately teaching yourself to become a subject matter expert over the next year or two or more. And so like leadership for me, that was a really big piece. I wanted to be a people manager is something, is a goal of mine. And that was a really neat way to combine learning and marketing with one of my own personal goals. Um, and now I have a lot of strong opinions about leadership as a result. It's something I care about, something I wanted to continue to learn. Um, and I think it resonated in the, in the content we were producing and it drove value beyond just like basic marketing principles. I would say it like, you could see the color, you could see I would say the care and the dedication to that space. Um, at least that's feedback <laughs> yeah. I've received, which has been nice to hear. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's I a, think you have to give a shit. Yeah. Um, just, just depends how on the much, variation. Yeah, depending on your personality yeah, and different things. But I really like that to. about what you just said about the subject matter expert. Like I'm thinking right now, I'm already looking on Google, like what are some quantum, you know, mechanics some physics because I just want to be the next Einstein. I want to be the next <laughs> X. So I need to get in this space because I totally get like what you're saying. Like that's why I like the best marketers sometimes, not all the time, but like sometimes are the people who sell a marketing product because they're just talking with marketers, CMOs all the time. It's like, dang it. Like I'm really good at like engineering or whatever because I like talk with them, but you're over there like improving your skill as you're doing your work. Uh, so I think that's a critical question to kind of ask of like, would I enjoy to be, and not that if I don't, like I'm going to quit tomorrow, but as you said, in the content context, that's really important and uh, has my uh, my brain kind of going around. So my final question before I jump into the three final questions is, what was it like to do the full rebrand from Soapbox <laughs> to HyperContext? Like, and then a, a successful domain change, which was interesting, that recouped domain authority within two weeks. I love it. Getting very specific, the the timing, two weeks. Like, what was that like? What did you learn from it? <laughs> Is there anything that you can, like, look back on that now, you know, you take with you? Oh, man, it was exhausting. I was actually just talking to a, another brand right before this about our process, <laughs> just because they're like, we're going through a rebrand. What do we do? And I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, so there was a, there was a couple of reasons why we both wanted to do the rebrand, but also had to. Um, so just for some added context, uh, our lot, our prior name was Soapbox. Our domain was soapboxhq.com. Um, we were a really well-known brand, I would say in our space. Um, we've been around for a while, um, and people just, I don't know, it was, it was, just a well-known brand, I guess, just looking at how many people actually searched for um, our brand, but it also got muddled because Wistia launched a product, which is a video recording tool um, called Soapbox or a video tool called Soapbox. And so I think that was a really hard thing to compete against because Wistia is a big company. They've got a ton of authority, ton of content. And so we were actually seeing a lot of signups that would message in and say like, Hey, how do I record a video? We're like, how did you get this far? 
um, mm. thinking we were that product, like the onboarding and website is very, very not video heavy, um, <laughs> but cool. Um, but it's just, people are like, this is the product I want. I'm just going to go do it. And some people actually upgrade it and you're like, what's going on? Um, it was just, so I think that was a piece where a lot of our branded terms, we were competing against like Goliath, um, which was really tough for us. Um, given the resources we had at the time, it was just me and then, um, a new content marketer a little bit, um, I think a month into starting the rebrand, um, work. Um, and then the other piece was we had just gotten into Y Combinator and, but we had gotten in as a new brand. And so that added a really tight deadline for us. So I think it took us a matter of two or three months from picking a name to actually going through the launch, which is super tight, not having a lot of resources. And I think I, I would say we went about it much in a much lighter way than the average brand would. Like we set a list of priorities that we were like, this needs to happen day of the rebrand, all of this other stuff that typically might be done within the first week or two of a rebrand. We're okay. Like six months later, six, having this done within the next six months, um, things like updating, uh, graphics from really old posts or like, um, updating review websites, like all of these like little things, just it, honestly, the list piles up so fast. Um, beyond just design you're and like backlinks what about all the lists you're on like how do we reach out to everyone like what's the priority there um and so yeah I, I think the rebrand took us about two or three months we hired an agency who did a lot of the technical piece of it which I think was the most important was for us like as a business considering I come from a content background about 80, 90% of our traffic came through organic channels, 80, 90% of our acquisition as a result also came through organic. So if we're changing our name, what are the implications? What is our comfort level? Because like, yes, our domain did recoup within two weeks back to the same, you know, I think it was 72 at the time. I can't remember. Um, but it doesn't mean that all of your rankings are recouping that fast. It's going to take a while. So what's kind of like our threshold of comfort of, losing business for a month or two um or kind of just having a dip in numbers i would say not necessarily losing business um and for us that threshold we initially thought was going to be a month um it ended up taking about i think two two and a half months to fully recoup um all of our rankings to recoup the the traffic that the average traffic that we were getting and also the average signups we were driving um but i think in the end it worked out better because we had a stronger brand name we got rid of a lot of, I would say, um, not like unqualified signups. So the quality of the people that we were bringing in was a lot higher because they were searching for us, not for another product, not for Soapbox as well as a term has mm. high volume because, you know, it's like standing on a soapbox. It's like very political. There's just like all these different connotations that could come with it. And so we are ranked number one for that. That's gone. Um, because obviously our brand, that name isn't in our domain anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was okay with that. Initially it hurt because I just didn't like seeing numbers go down. Um, but it just gave us a bit more focus on what actually matters yeah. um, and what quality of traffic and signups and people that were actually driving to the website, to the product. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the domain authority was a really, really good first indicator that we didn't fuck anything up, um, which was the very scary piece of like, this is a big change. Um, how are we going to do this without like com being completely catastrophic um, to our business? And so, yeah, it took us about two to three months to fully recoup 
at least on the traffic front from organic referral traffic was the same because obviously none of the links changed everything got redirected um and social media and all of that kind of stuff but um it's just you also have to rebuild brand recognition for this new name um and it's not like soapbox something it's like a completely drastic change Mm -hmm. um like hyper context it's very different um and so yeah it it took us a while we spent some time reaching out to for us like a big priority was making sure all the lists that mentioned us changed because that was also a big driver from a referral standpoint for quality signups so we wanted to make sure that the experience for the customers if they saw us on the list and were like this is a great product and then they land on their our website and they're like what the hell is hyper context i'm trying to find soapbox um like did this blog write the wrong thing or link to the wrong thing and so for a while we we did have like previously soapbox but i think after a month we just dropped it and said let's just commit um it's been long enough but i I think something i learned was like as much as there's so many things you can care about in a rebrand like so many the list is never ending and you think that people care you at least you feel that people will care about your brand as much as you do. And in reality, they don't like they, yeah, they, they're going to cheer you on. They're going to be like, cool. But how does it impact me as a customer? How does it impact? Like, otherwise, if it has a negative impact on their experience with the product, yeah, that's a bad thing. So obviously figure that out. Um, But if it has no impact, they're like, cool, you changed your name. That's great. Doesn't really change (laughs) anything. And so I think having a bit of that pressure get taken off was quite nice because I had to take a step back and and like my CEO was like, you care about this way more than the average person. This is part of your identity. This is like, which is true. Like I, I think having gone through like being a team to being by myself to now like growing a team as well, like soapbox was a big piece of my growth as a marketer. And so that was a really big part of my identity. And I remember when we were all picking names, everything sucked because nothing was soapbox and when we picked our name i remember messaging my ceo i was like i hate this name i hate it uh, and here's all the reasons why and we just talked for so long about it and he made a point too which i i completely agree with he's like you're gonna hate any name we pick because it's not soapbox i was like yeah you're right <laughs> like it'll grow and it, and it did to an extent i would say um and i think it grew for the people who joined us after the rebrand as well they're like yeah this is the brand um but I don't know. I would say, yeah, I would say if it, if there's a really strong business case to rebrand, do it. Um, if there's not, then it's not worth the stress. It's not <laughs> worth the hassle. Like yeah. I think a brand refreshes in terms of design. That's always nice. It is a lot of work, but to fully change a domain, I think you've got to have a really solid case, um, which it worked out in the end for us. Like I said, like after the two, three months, Um, We were able to refocus. We beat all-time highs that we had at Soapbox um, in terms of like traffic and signups, but also just the quality of people we were getting again. It was a nice way to cut out a big chunk of people who wouldn't have otherwise wanted to use the product, Mm. want to use the product. And so, um, and also getting into YC was a really big factor as well for us. And so from from a business perspective for us, it really, really made sense. It was a very logical, strategic move. Mm. um it just it was short-term pain i would say for a long-term gain um but the short-term pain was rough um, (laughs) considering it was while we were going through yc and trying to show this 
explosive growth. Meanwhile, our like marketing numbers are just going down, down, down. Mm, wow. uh, and so that was a, that was a stressful time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Wow, there's but, there's a lot of lessons. I feel just the whole prioritizing, really focusing on what matters, uh, realizing mm-hmm. sometimes the hard brutal truth that not everybody cares as much about our baby as we do, and sometimes that baby, you know, is not as pretty as we think it is, or whatever. I think there's a lot of lessons yeah. uh, that you shared. But I want to get to these three final questions uh, before we do this for an hour because it's a really fun conversation. Uh, so, and also you're the first one to drop that bomb. So I just want to congratulate you. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. I love the energy. It's, it's great. All right. The first question of the three final questions, what is one thing you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing in the past one, two, three, four years, you believed X. Now you believe Y. I thought put as much content out in the world as you can. I now believe quality is better. Mm-hmm. What is that for you? I think prior to coming to a company without a sales team, I was so gung-ho about putting a form on everything. I was like, we need a form for this. We need a form (laughs) for that. That's how we're going to get leads. This is how sales is going to have conversations. And I think part of that was just being in in very, very sales-led organizations, very, and also enterprise companies. It was just like forms. Forms is what makes sense. I did not put one form on the Soapbox website except for the newsletter sign up. That was the only form we had. Um, And it was just such a drastic change. I realized that like, you shouldn't, like there's no purpose to gating content. It does not help the customer, the end user, the audience. It doesn't help those people. If you give them value, you can find ways to continue to have a strong brand as a result. Um, And it didn't impact our business in a negative way, I would say. Yeah, it made personalization a little harder, but so did our tech stack. So that wasn't a big ability we could do. Uh, uh, anyways, but customers appreciated it so much more. The libraries we built grew. If we gated those things, it would not have grown. Uh, It would not have driven as much business impact. And so I think I'm going to, in the future, probably find a better balance between those two extremes. Um, But I think like ungating as much content as you possibly can, if there is a really good reason to gate content, go for it. But I feel like in most cases, there's not a good reason beyond selfish reasons, I would say. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I think that was my extreme was like being so gung ho on forms and then just so anti form. Um, so it was a fun, it was a fun change. Yeah. yeah, It's kind of like a, um, a uh, rubber band, right? You, you snap it, you go way back, but you eventually kind of come back to that middle ground. So I like that. That's what a kind of uh, image popped in my head. All right. Second question. That was a good answer. Second question. There's a movie called Inception. You might've watched it. You might not, but I always kind of give a quick brief synopsis. So it pretty much is just people, they go in the dreams of other people and they incept ideas. So when they wake up the next day and they're like, I'm going to sell my company. Like, that's a great idea. It's my idea. So if you could incept one idea in the mind of every marketer on the planet, so they wake up tomorrow and your idea you incepted is their idea and they, their actions, their beliefs, everything drives because of that idea. What idea are you incepting? Um, I think taking out the idea that customer success or sales are the gatekeepers to talking to customers. I think that was the biggest change for me in terms of being able to think more strategically, to produce a better marketing strategy, to produce better content, like all of that. I think it's really easy for marketers to always just say, "Ah, I can't talk to customers. Sales hasn't introduced me. Go talk to them yourself. Like, why do you need someone to introduce you? 
doesn't have to be an existing customer. Talk to your ICP who's not using you. There's billions of people in the world. You can you can talk to one. <laughs> um, and I think, and I it's gonna it's gonna impact so much of what you do and how you think for your business, for your strategy, for your work, and for your career. Because now the work you're doing is actually gonna have a, a stronger impact, yeah. and you can have these crazy numbers on your LinkedIn or on your resume, and you'll be a much more desirable candidate. And then you'll be in a very privileged position, um, I would say. And so, I don't know. It's been so rewarding talking to customers. And I, I hope that uh, more people do it more often. Obviously, there's a better way to go about it. Um, but we can kind of save that for another <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, not to just say, like, go talk to your customers. That's not very mm -hmm. helpful. Um, but I think just even breaking into that mindset is very – it's a starting point. Yeah, I think that the world would have much better marketing if uh, we all did that for sure. It would be less about us, the product, the company, <laughs> and more about those customers yeah. as we learn about them. And we can, you know, literally write their diary for them because we're just so in step with their beliefs and their say, <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right, final question. Yeah. This one's a little bit outside of the marketing business realm, but what is one thing you do okay. outside of business and marketing that then when you come back to do business and marketing, you do it better? So for me, it's going for a long walk before lunch when I come back I can just create better I can think better what is that thing for you mm. yeah I think mm. so I I think having a week off in between jobs I'm realizing that I really need more hobbies um because I'm like just I kept itching back and here I am doing a podcast on marketing Can't let it go. Yeah. um <laughs> so <laughs> so I think like walks are always really helpful obviously we walk our, our dog quite a bit um, just completely zonked yeah. out. Um, but, uh, yeah, walks I think are really helpful. I have a tough time kind of separating myself, taking myself out of the computer sometimes. Um, especially if I'm stuck, even though that's definitely the best option. Um, other things I like to do is just like brew a pot of coffee. Like, um, and I think that just is a good way to separate myself, take even like not a big walk, but just a mini walk around the house and put my focus somewhere else. Um, but otherwise, I just bought uh, a few jigsaw puzzles, so I think that'll be a nice hey, new break. There we go. I like that. <laughs> yeah, hobbies. right. Yeah, you definitely get to see when you're in between jobs or um, even during COVID. You know, people are home more. It's like, wow, I really don't do much. So yeah, that's a that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. I I also enjoy. I've really never uh, put in words, but uh, coffee brewing. Yeah, I do like a pour over. You know, there's just something about yeah. it, the process, getting the. Uh, water hot, putting the coffee in, all of it that just kind of takes you away from your work and you can come back with maybe not new ideas, but just let those ideas kind of swim around a bit. So I like that a lot. Final section. Is, yeah. Sorry. Is there anything else you want to add to that? I didn't want to cut you off. I feel like the host that just no, no, moving no, the good. train. Sorry. I'm just no, 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 that's fine. We need that. Like any good uh, hip hop song, we need a lot of ad libs. So the final part of this is for you to kind of share anything with the three to four listeners that are currently still with us at this point. Just what, where can they find you? Is there anything people, you know, should follow, should like, if you have a newsletter, podcast, whatever, this is your point to take the stage. Oh man, I think like, I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't really use LinkedIn. Uh, but I think where you'll you'll have the most luck, at least even just chatting and, and seeing a lot of good but silly updates, I would say, is on Twitter. That's kind of where my sphere is. And my handle is H5Amin, um, which is the first letter of my <laughs> name, five, and then my last name. It was my university ID that I was given, and I've just sure. always used it since, I guess. That... No 
nothing behind the, <laughs> the number five other than that. I think I was just the fifth H amine uh, that went <laughs> to oh, school there. Um, okay, but, awesome. Yeah, I'll include uh, that uh, link to yeah. the Twitter in the show notes uh, and also the LinkedIn just so people can go and just be kind of bamboozled by your stats. I don't think that was the right word, but just like <laughs> eyes wide open, you know, cartoonist, because it is cool and, and to take some of it away of like, how can I uh, do a better job of getting more specific? But uh, thank you so much for this conversation. This was mm-hmm. uh, way too much fun. I feel like I need to, you know, kind of pay you some money for this conversation. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. No. <laughs> well, no, thanks for having me on the show. Um, and thanks for listening to the four or five people who are still here. <laughs> yes, this is currently the longest <laughs> podcast we've had so far. So yes, thank you so much. I'm just here to beat records. I'll add it hell to yeah, LinkedIn. Hell yeah. All right. This is the end of the <laughs> podcast.